cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 26th, 2008. For newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and on the website. You can take your pick of hundreds of hours of talks I've given over the past, where I try to give you a different perspective than the media has given you, and your education too, by showing you evidence of how the world is run, how it's really run and planned planned by big foundations, big think tanks, using all of the major academia, working together on common programs of control to bring in a new world order, a new system, something they have dreamed of in those circles for an awful long time. I give you the shortcuts, if that's possible, and even the shortcuts contain so much data, it can be overwhelming for most people. So download as much of the talks as you want. Also look into Alan Watts Sentinel.eu and you can download transcripts of these talks. And these transcripts are written in the various languages of Europe. We are really going into this big new world order. It's coming together so perfectly. Where organizations set up mainly during and after World War II are coming to the fore now to show you what they're all about, what their main purpose really is, like the the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, big organizations, international organizations. And we forget that most of the big major wars were to do with internationalism, to bring in an international order of one type or another. Adolf Hitler wanted a united Europe. We find from the the memoirs really of Winston Churchill's personal secretary who wrote Fringes of Power he said that Winston Churchill's view and his dream was to have a united Europe so Hitler and Winston Churchill both had the same dream and they both hoped that World War II would bring it about but behind that too you had big banking organizations which operated in neutral countries financing all sides of this thing. They also had banks too within the warring countries investing through IG Farben and keeping the war machine going in Germany in World War II. So you have this incredible loophole which allows banks to somehow be untouchable and even those that do the trading too, the big corporations that formed IG Farben and other groups to be almost untouchable and people don't know that, that the United States backed by the big foundations and the Rockefellers and big families who helped fund IG Farben sent dozens and dozens of top lawyers over to the trials to do with um, the Nuremberg trials in Germany to do with the prosecutions against people who had set up the war industry the machinery for for the Nazi regime and their job was to get them off with it and they were very very successful but behind it all, as I say, is someone, someone's idea 
of a global society, a world under domination by a few. It's still run on an economic system that to the person at the bottom it seems so tenuous, so elastic. Elastic can be stretched so much it can be broken, it seems, many times over, and they never seem to fix it. The reason being that they want to pull the same stunts over and over, and it's called it depressions. That's why they never fixed it. And I've been reading in the different articles from the International Monetary Fund and the EU and so on, where they want to use this crisis to further their agenda for integration. I'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. I was just mentioning how these big organizations use crisis to bring in their agenda, which often makes you wonder if they've got anything to do with planning the crisis in the first place. That takes me back to, I think it was Gary Hart that was photographed and filmed talking to the Council on Foreign Relations after 9-11. And he said, he said, uh, that Bush Senior had mentioned a new world order coming into view. He says, we could use this crisis to our advantage to make this happen. And it was never explained to the public, although it was shown on public television, these little clips they show you. And the public are left sort of, uh, in la-la land. We don't know what it is. Is it an official organization? Is it part of government or whatever? They didn't bother to tell us that it's a private organization that's just the American branch of the Royal Institute of International Affairs that really run the world, this parallel system. Uh, and therefore, when I read this article about, about Britain and the, the EU and the pound, the British pound, pound sterling, it took me back to that because the head of the, of the, the man who's in charge of the euro currency for Europe at their main, main uh, parliament building in Brussels said so the same thing. He says, we can use this crisis, he says, to, to forge ahead with the, with the euro to replace all the currencies. See, Britain's been holding out. And sure, this can be, here's the independent, the newspaper's called it, the independent 15th of December 2008. And it says, pound to be left to its fate. The Treasury says protecting the currency is not a first-order issue as euro readies to overtake sterling in markets for the first time, by Michael Savage. The plummeting pound will not be propped up by government intervention, ministers declared yesterday, as it emerged that they would be simple, simply hope Britain's beleaguered currency stabilises as broader measures to stimulate the economy begin to take effect. Sterling has fallen to a series of record lows against the euro in recent days, and looks set to reach parity with the single European currency for the first time. Its fall has hit holidaymakers as well as the thousands of Britons living on the continent who have seen the value of pensions and savings plummet. Well, no kidding. But ministers have made it clear no help will be forthcoming to stabilise sterling. The Europe minister, Caroline Flint, well-named Skinflint, confirmed the value of the pound was not a first-order issue and Yvette Cooper, Chief Secretary of the Treasury, said bolstering the currency had never been the government's aim. 
senior government figures are wary of mistakes made in the lead-up to Black Wednesday in '92, and attempts by John Major's government to prop up the pound failed and led to a bill thought to be more than $3 billion, or pounds it was. The growing possibility of deflation, now discussed as a possibility by the Treasury, it seems a greater threat to the economy. So they're not going to prop the pound up, because why? Well, the real reason is they want everyone to change to the euro, euro currency. And it'll be interesting to see how they deal with Canada, the States, and Mexico, because we've had talks for years uh, by some of the big boys themselves, and they actually call this currency that to come out the Amero. And the only problem they had, too, was getting the people to accept it. That's how everything works in this system. They go to great lengths and big shows to, to see the, we are the masses. And the masses don't like to be moved from one field to another, you see. We get kind of used to grazing where we are. And their whole idea is to get you in motion. And they go to great lengths to get you in motion psychologically so that we eventually will accept everything that's pushed upon us as quite natural. And I've no doubt about it, with Fortress America, that's what they're calling the whole continent of the Americas, Fortress America and the integration of Canada, Mexico, and the U.S., they will bring out a currency to deal with the present, the present uh, crisis. But that led me off to the International Monetary Fund. I want to know exactly what is the International Monetary Fund. And it's so vague to people. Uh, yet you look at how it was set up and what it was set up to do. Because the International Monetary Fund is being hailed as the big saviour that's going to take everything over and run the world, basically, financially. And what is it? Well, it works with the World Bank. And it also works with this other branch. They all seem to be integrated as the one system. This other branch for the for international reconstruction and and settlements, I think they call it. But I, I do know when the International Monetary Fund comes in and takes over a country, they run the affairs of that country. They are an international body. They're a global body. And they can tell you how much to inflate or deflate the money system, but they also demand their own big cuts of the proceeds as they run your economy. They have run many third world countries into the ground by forcing uh, so-called high-tech farming on these countries, and it's totally de de depleted the soil. And because the farmers have to repay these big loans to the IMF, they go bankrupt, generally, because they can't afford all of the chemicals they need to replenish the stuff they've taken out of it. The farmers used to allow fields to be fallow for a few years, and they would simply plow in uh, weeds, not even weeds, and, and, and bits of trees and leaves and all the rest of it, and grass back into the ground and leave it fallow. And that replenished all the vitamins and the minerals you needed. But now it's all done away with, with this high-tech farming system that costs an awful lot of money. It really isn't cost-effective in the long run. It destroys the soil. And it also, of course, with all the chemicals that are added, ends up killing off the people. So for the IMF, it fulfills quite a few functions. So the IMF is to take over and all of this. Now, the IMF is dedicated in its own charter to concentrating primarily on third-world countries. It also has been known to help negotiate money from first-world countries to the third-world countries, actually like a mediator. 
And it's not going to change its, its agenda because the, the first world countries are now basically bankrupt. They still concentrate on the third world countries. So we're in for a really rough time of it. I hate to say this before the beginning of the new year, but that's the truth of it. It's planned this way. It's planned this way. That's why, as I've said before, this crash was allowed to happen. Looking into the books, apparently, of the, the big boys who had the Ponzi schemes, like, like Madoff or Madoff, he made off with the money, you find that the government had never gone in since it first registered as a corporation. They'd never gone in to check its books. And yet everyone knew, every other investor knew it was a Ponzi scheme. It was too good to be true. And now people have lost their shirts on it. This is pretty standard. How come, why is it that all the propaganda in the world to do with cops and detectives and investigators are all supposed to do with people at the bottom? This, the money they spend catching petty crime and petty criminals is, is astonishing. And all the dramas on television and the movies is always with people at the bottom. But everyone knows, including the legal system itself, that the, the biggest crime of all is white-collared workers at the top. And why do they get away with it, you see? As long as they say there's no personal physical violence involved. But that's how they justify these light sentences they get when they get sent to the to the prisons with no walls and they have golf club, uh, golf uh, courses and so on because there's no real violence intended so therefore if you rip people off for billions of dollars and create massive poverty everywhere you didn't really intend any malice towards them and you didn't create any physical violence in other words as long as you do it cleverly and you wear a business suit and you have porters and doormen opening doors for you and bowing and scraping and Lord Mayors doing the same kind of thing to you because you have so much money uh, then you get sent to little rehab place where you play golf that's the reality of the world that we live in it's just uh, it's so so corrupt so incredibly corrupt and as long as people worship mammon and it's so true as long as we worship people who are stinking rich that we will get what we deserve over and over and over again. We just can't bend over enough for these guys. I was reading a book about Rockefeller, the first Rockefeller, the one who, who was basically a robber baron who did every dirty deed and, and tactic possible to get and acquire all of his oil conglomeration. Stooping to nothing, including real violence, to do so. And when he wiped out the miners who were in protest, working for him at one point by using the local militia, they brought in, as I say, a man called Gates. Check his genealogy, it's quite interesting. They would give him a total makeover and make him into a philanthropist. So this murderer and robber would be a nice man, a philanthropist. But the author of this particular book said that the sad thing was when he went in and he'd made over his imagery and promoted it through a PR specialist and so on. Mackenzie King from Canada did the PR special stuff. And he was, a, he was made Prime Minister of Canada eventually for, as a reward. They said that the people, the working people, rather than lynch old man Rockefeller, breaking round their houses for what he'd done, 
sort of groveled with her caps in hand. And that's what the poor do in the presence of massive wealth. But the whole system is geared towards this worship of massive wealth. You wouldn't find much interest in Hollywoods and the bimbos they have there if they got paid at an ordinary working wage for the movies they make. It's the money, it's the, it's the lifestyle, that which is promoted as being the, the good life to those at the bottom. That's what we worship. So in a sense, we get what we deserve. And we don't force the police, not that they've ever worked for us, to investigate these big Ponzi characters either. I'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the Matrix and we'll a couple of callers here, so I'll go to the phones now and I might do an article afterwards. Tom in Massachusetts, are you there? Alan. Yes. Yes, Tom. Yes. Is that a question for you? Um, regarding the Supreme Court of the United States' recent decision uh, on the Second Amendment uh, regarding the uh, bearing of arms by the citizenry, um, if all this is to go down in the United States, uh, all the trouble that we're going to have, the rioting and everything like that, how are they going to be able to... Um, the elite are going to be able to control the people. I, I mean, I'm under the impression there are millions of firearms that are out here in the hands of uh, private citizens. How would they be able to uh, to make any inroads in controlling the masses if uh, these people are are all going to be taking up arms and possibly fighting off the uh, intervention by military forces? That may very well happen, but they've already, and I've read the articles where they're bringing the military home on active duty. Uh, now, these guys are trained and they have... Uh, unlimited ammo and, and the best uh, training and so on, and equipment, backups, logistics. But you also have other articles I've read where they've got all these uh, so-called non-lethal weapons and they're ordering them like crazy and they have been for years, including the microwave ones which are mounted on Humvees. And I read an article oh, a few weeks ago there about the one that can knock out a whole city, a whole entire city if need be. And so they, they have many, um, much of this equipment. They have, they have planes with the, which they admit they can spray right over a city and put you all completely uh, unconscious if they want to. Mm. So uh, these guys are not stupid at the top. And, and you see, we, we tend to live in the past. We think in terms of firearms. And I used to laugh when I saw the, every war that comes along, they shove off the soldier with a new outfit, looking very, very, very modern. But basically, the firearm is an old, old type of weapon in today's scientific system. And so when you compare it with what they really do have, I often wonder if that's why they even give the troops these kind of weapons, to make us think that's the best they have. Because literally, they can knock out a continent if they want to, just with arrays of satellites. uh, so I, I think we'll see a lot of the, the non-lethal weaponry and the, a lot of, see, all this non-lethal stuff is a misnomer. Depending on the settings they put on it, they can right. certainly make it lethal quite simple. And, um, or simply, but uh, I was reading just today, in fact, with the, the micro-pulse ones for the Humvees, and they have used these over in the Middle East. Uh, Israel has used them too. With, with a, you see, you'll see busloads of... Um, uh, Lebanese 
that are just roasted, utterly roasted. And it's the same technology uh, that they're, they're now bringing into the States big time. They're ordering them like crazy. And they're supposedly going to use the lowest setting uh, that gives you, I think, a three-second three burst. Then that's enough to cause fatigue, no, nauseous uh, feelings, um, agitation, and make the, the crowds disperse. But they do admit on a default setting during one of the testing phases, it, it defaulted back to its original setting and it fried the man they were experimenting on okay. to end up with third-degree burns. So these things can roast you, and they have all this technology uh, uh, sitting, waiting in the wings. The reason why I ask that is because some people, for example, uh, um, those who have spoken out against the system or who have uh, maybe people such as yourself who are taking a stand and informing the, the public worldwide as to what's happening, that. Uh, that possibly you might be singled out and they'd be uh, coming over to your place to yeah. to bring you in. And at that point, um, you know, that's what I'm wondering. These people aren't going to go gently into that good night, you know. And that's right. And, and these guys at the top again expect it. But I was, I mentioned some videos last year, a series of videos, I think there's 12 of them, about taking liberties in Britain. And you see the cops, you see how they're already, uh, they already have the bully mentality over there. Uh, and you see how they're all so willing to get into fights and so on, and scuffles and violence. And uh, I, I thought to myself at the time, um, it's a shame that we at the bottom, and, and but by the, one of the videos showed you one man who was a, a lone demonstrator, and they burst into his home at 4 a.m. That's what the, the Nazis did. That's what they did in the Soviet, Soviet Union. The KGB would hit you at 3, 4 in the morning with, with uh, heavy force coming through your walls and your windows and so on. And I thought, it's already here. They're doing it already. They've been doing it actually for years, getting the public ready for what's coming. They will not give you a gentle knock on the door and ask you to come with them. That, that's, that's gone. That, that kind of, of policing is far gone now. Right. Uh, so, so, yeah, they'll come in using lethal force, and they do want to use any excuse to use their toys on you, any excuse at all. And I've got to admit, they're so corrupt the fraternities of police and so on are so corrupt. They stand and they fix their books to make sure they have all the lies together so it will sound good in court. Uh, we found that with the case uh, where they shot the man in the head in London, England. The judge said in the court case that, that they did fix and rig their books before they went into court to make sure they were all saying the same stuff. Yeah. Uh, they didn't even give that man a warning that it's got on the bus, walked up to him and shot him in the head. Wow. That came out in the court. So if they've marked you in this day and age, they're going to kill you. That's the message. If they've marked you, they're, go they're out. When they're sent out, they know their job is to go and kill you. Right. And they will use any excuse. They'll, they'll, they'll say that you rushed them or, or something ridiculous. It's like Bill Cooper. With Bill Cooper, um, Bill, uh, you, you know what happened there. He went to investigate these. He thought they were drunks. It was actually undercover guys dressed up. And uh, he went out of his truck, saw where they were, got back, jumped out of his car, tried to run on an artificial leg, and they said that he was, he was running away from them. An artificial, this is the half of them in two machine gun bullets. Right. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Damo and Watt were cutting through the matrix. And uh, just to finish what I was saying there to Tom, it takes me back to what I said earlier, but Rockefeller, he said it uh, years ago, he said, you can always employ half the poor to kill the other half. So what you have at the bottom are just these G.I. Joes from the same classes as the people that they're going after. And they'll be fighting the ones at the bottom while the guys at the top laugh up their sleeves and they're well out of harm's way, they're well protected. That's been the same in every war we've ever had. It's a pity that we kill each other at the bottom level to protect them at the top. And uh, we should find ways around that. It's, it's pretty, pretty sad when you think about it. Then I've got Amber from British Columbia. Are you there, Amber? Hey, Alan. Yes. Hey, nice to talk to you again. Um, I have a question regarding family, but um, family and coworkers kind of thing. But actually, first, hopefully quickly, you can help me out with finding a book. Um, unfortunately, I don't have... I have about zero cents to spend on any books right now, so I looked up some names in my local library, some names that I've heard you talk about, um, like H.G. Wells and Aldo Huxley yeah. and stuff like that. They have, like, 27 H.G. Wells books, actually, uh-huh. and, like, 22 Aldo Huxley books. And I, I did um, hear you recommend a book called Children of the Dream. Yes. I can't remember who the author is, but they unfortunately they don't have that, but... Um, there was also a book called Millennium mm-hmm. by Jack someone. Jack C. Lowell. Sorry? Yeah, it was Jack Attali, actually. Jack Attali. Attali, yeah. do you know how to spell that? It's A-T-A-L-L-I. Attali. Attali, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. I was having trouble finding that with that title. But um, from H.G. Wells, he was, um, he's pretty old school, right? I thought I'd take your advice and go back. Like, mm-hmm. actually, the first person I heard about New World Order stuff was from um, David Icke. Mm-hmm. But I've moved, you know, I've moved past that. Yes. Now, so I think it's a good idea to go back a little older. Yeah, if you go to H.G. Yeah. Wells and, and the book that you want uh-huh. um, is called The Open Conspiracy. The Open Conspiracy. Okay, there was one called um, Things to Come. That sounds pretty interesting. Things to Come is good. It's done in a fictionalized form. The Open Conspiracy, uh, he tells you the whole world agenda and yeah. how it's outlined and how he basically is all for it. He works for the people who are planning it and how they would use wars to bring it about and so on. And mm-hmm. how they despised the common people at the bottom uh, was very evident in his book. He also did a, a two books on, on history. It's called Outline of History. Uh, The original versions were volume one and two. The second edition, they put it both into two to one volume. But uh, outline of history, he goes through the races that are going to be eliminated because they won't fit into the new world order. Mm -hmm. And even the the lower class types that that won't make it as well. He actually has the same list that Hitler had uh, is pretty well there. Uh, There was one main difference in that Orwell said that those people amongst Judaism who'd risen to the top and acquired wealth over generations and held on to it would be allowed in because by the Darwinian theory they'd proved they were fit to survive. But people who were, who were considered, like the Irish for instance, more agrarian types people who, who were always fighting tyranny 
they would not come in. He wanted them eliminated completely. So he had a list of those who were to be eliminated. Right, okay, so that one's outline of history. Yeah. Yeah, actually, things to come, I noticed, was in the nonfiction section. Really? Uh-huh. In the library, yeah. Yeah, yeah they've, they've blurred the lines now between fiction and non-fiction. Yeah, I guess so, hey. Now, yeah, now that it's they, like they so, have. it was it's so long ago, they uh, yeah. just put it wherever and... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, um, the old books are well worth going into, and even things to come, he goes right through a, to a fictional scenario, a coming world war with Germany, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. who would win eventually and the kind of society they hope to bring out at the end of it, a universal world government. Uh, he even mentioned uh, the spraying in the skies in his book, only it was to be done by the scientists of the air, the, free, the Freemasons of the air, he said, the Brotherhood. Uh, they'd spray the people into submission. Um, there's a lot of real, real stuff in that particular book that has, has all come true, because it was based on the agenda, you see. Yeah, yeah, I'd made a side note about that, actually, when your other callers had talked about that, it had something about chemtrails in it. Yes. So, but, um, thank you. Um, my question in regards to family is just, um, like, do you think there's a point, like, I spend so much time at work, and at, I don't really have much family in town, just my mom and her husband, uh-huh. but it seems like there's going to come a time where there's there's no turning back, like, Mm-hmm. Like um, beginning to tolerate less and less, you know. Yes. Like I'm just seeking out something else, and um, I think I heard you talk about on uh, an old show I listened to with Jackie Petru mm-hmm. about how it's, it's not worth alienating them, you know, um, because it it is a choice. It's a choice, and you what you are seeing are, are people who've made choices, but they also are the end product of a lifetime of scientific indoctrination. It, is, it isn't that they just don't want to hear you; they're unable. They're unable to hear you. Is, is, it, is that really it? As okay, part you know. of that, but I do think there are choices that they have made along the way that have made them that way too. That's a strange thing to say, but I, I think it's true. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess so. It's, it's hard to know how to how to approach that because I guess I've always been, I've pretty much always been awake. Yes. I've always known there's something wrong. I've always been, I've always noticed that I think differently than pretty much everybody else. Yes. Like since I was a kid, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's just that people don't want to see or if it's just. Uh, there's definitely denial. Just, there's, there's no I doubt. I don't understand their way of thinking because I don't. Yeah, denial. In a socialist system, people have been trained to allow the big problems in life to be handled by people they never ever see, special people they think, and they, they don't, they're, they're terrified if, if you say, well, you have to make decisions as well. That, that terrifies them, the thought that they might have to make decisions. So they, so they live in denial. Yeah. Right, so it's just easy, it's more, it's easy to just blindly defend the system. Yes, it is. Yeah, for them it is. Right <laughs> yeah. to the bitter end, right, right to the, the come for them. Uh, they'll, they'll still stand up for the system till till they're dragged out of their home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And at work, it's like I I have to become like almost a different person. Yes. Just just to save myself from. Yeah. Because like when I'm really myself, it's like I just feel ganged up on, like not physically, but. Mm-hmm. You know. 
It is as, as tremendously lonely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tremendously lonely, and you can't. You, you pretend that you, you join in the little jokes you make just so that they want they'll accept you and so on. Uh-huh. But you realize how everyone is acting. Everyone wants to act through their life uh, rather than be serious and get to brass tacks about what's really happening. And there's only so much you can generally handle. It's, you can live in your head quite a bit, um, but it's, it's much easier when you can make acquaintances on the same path as you are and, and discuss things w- without having to watch what you say or, or how you approach a topic or whatever. So you, it's, it's essential that you try and find people of your same kind. Yeah. And, you know, I'll say something trivial and I'll, like, hear myself and I'm, like, embarrassed for myself. Yes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that I have to stick to that mm, level. It's like, you know, we, we all have to be at the same place for, like, eight, nine hours a day. Yes. Like, let's do some planning here, or let's do, but you know, we're not on the same, we're not on the same level, so we can't really get anything done. It's just like wasting, yes, wasting time. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. So, like, do you think it's just best to just limit the contact and and you know look for people? Yeah, look for people outside look for of people work. That are, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's probably safer that way too, because if the, if the bosses get wind that you're you're talking about strange things, uh, then they'll come, they'll come down on you. Exactly, yeah. Yep. So we all just got to do what we have to do and um, get organized however we can, I guess. It is, that's the key, is organized. See, we're up against the most organized system on the planet. And I used to wonder when the communists were making great strides, they called it organization. They sent in specialists who got people together, who were trained in how to organize people in every area of society. They had thousands of front groups that were well-funded. We know now that communism was funded by the very guys who were bringing in the world system because they owned both sides of it. But they did, have, uh, they did train their members in their organizational abilities and techniques. And we have to, to use some of these techniques very quickly uh, to get organized uh, amongst ourselves so that we stand up for each other. Yeah, totally. And I, I feel like it's, I've been doing that all day, actually, just organizing everything and trying to organize my thoughts as well. Um, I feel like I need to be ready with information yes. and food and um, just ready for anything. Basic planning. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Alan. And thanks um, for calling. Yeah, have a good night. Take care. Now I've got, uh, I've got Sam from Sydney. Are there, Sam? Hey, Alan. Merry Christmas. How are you? I'm just hanging in here. I tell you, I had one pile of snow at Christmas because it was two feet deep on top of what I already had. <laughs> Alan, as I've said before, Australia, mate. Yeah. love it here. Yeah, I know. I was thinking that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, mate, it was interesting what Amber uh, was just saying there, uh, you know, about the, you know, finding it difficult to, to wake people up and Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I mean, the amount of stuff that's out there to sort of keep people in line and um, to keep people, I guess, asleep. I that's mean, right. there's, there's so many of the world's resources actually being actually spent on it. You, it's, it's, you know, in one way, it's not, it's not unnatural. They've just been so indoctrinated mm-hmm. um, and there's so many resources being thrown at them. You, you can't kind of, I don't know, I kind of, feel that like you can't blame them, but not to say that we shouldn't try. 
Yep. But you know, on the on the flip side of that, if you think about those of us that have woken up, the fact that these people have thrown the world's resources at us, and mm-hmm. we've somehow managed to wake up. Yep. Um, and that's why I think it's been really important to, well, it's, it, it is really important to thank you, Alan. Um, and what I'd like to say to all your listeners, all the people that download um, all your free podcasts and listen to Alan and stuff, I think when, you know, if, if you really want to do something um, to, to help contribute, I think over the next, before the new year comes out, let's, let's set a deadline before the new year, let's think about how important it is to have people like Alan online um, and to actually donate so that he can actually stay online. Um, and hopefully get a high-speed internet. I don't know if you've got that yet. No, I don't. I, I, I try to watch videos, and they keep breaking up before I <laughs> before they start. Right. You see that? Yeah, I mean, just to have you be better equipped so that you can do your work of help, helping warn what you know to us yeah. about what's going on is 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 amazing. You know, and I've really got to thank you for. I mean, this year has been such an important year for me because I, I've, I've now feel like I've fully woken up. So I've got to thank you. And please, everyone out there, if you think about it, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, I think we'll make, you know, if there's enough of us, we can make a big difference. Um, and hopefully we can do that before the end of the year. So yeah, thanks again, Alan. I'm glad you phoned there. I, I keep forgetting to mention that myself. I mean, even just the satellite service I've got, I'd have to buy the satellite dish. Uh, it's costing $100 a month just for the dish that claims to give you high speed, but it doesn't. But the next one up, the, the, the next uh, service up is $200 a month that would give me the high speed. And it's just too much money. You know? I, I'm, I'm already sending, spending money in all other directions too, uh, doing what I do as well. So it's, it does take a lot of cash to keep this kind of thing going. But, uh, but yeah, it's true if you can reach so many people and bond with them. You've got to bond with people in order to teach them. Uh, that is happening and we've got to use the services that we have available at the moment. And yeah, if I got even higher speed, it would do an awful, an awful lot to help me save time because it takes even four hours to put all this stuff up at night after the show on the speed I have to the websites. So everything costs money. Yeah. So thanks for, for calling. And we've got uh, Dave from California. Are you there, Dave? Hi, Alan. Hi. Uh, I, you know, I like your I like your poetry that you put up in Cutting Through the Matrix. I, I get a kick out of it. You must have to. You must be able to get that stuff right off the top of your head pretty fast because every every night you've got something new. I do it after the show. Cause I, I never I never know where this, I'm going to take this show. I don't like to organize things to that extent. I like to have an idea where I'm going, but. Um, wherever my mind takes me during a talk, um, so after the show, I, I, I do it up then and, and pop it up. Well, I admire your ability to do that, and, and I got a question for you, and that is, uh, uh, explain to me, please, when, when people talk about the 80 to 85 percent sterility uh, that yeah. we're seeing now, are, are they talking about the youngest generation? And and if that's true, if, if, if the youngest generation in the West is now becoming sterile at that at that rate of speed, or their, or their sperm count is down to 80. 80 to 85% below normal, yeah. then in two generations, basically, they've got their 80% uh, population reduction, don't they? They do, and that did come from the official U.S. sources 
where the universities, they test meal, they've been testing meals for 50 years, every intake of meals that comes into college, and it's down now to two out of ten meals are able to produce sperm at 18 years of age. And out of that, those two that can produce sperm, uh, only f- uh, 15% of that sperm has motility. Lord, that's so what they've found. That's what they're finding everywhere. So that's a lot worse than 80%. That's, that's right. And I have all this, the stats here and the surveys done by the global societies who, uh, and the military, by the way. They're into this, keeping, keeping tracks on the population predictions for the next 50 years. I've got all their data here, too, that confirm all of this stuff with the studies, yeah. So, uh, so... Uh, from your from your study on that, what what are we looking at in the way of global population reduction, say over the next two or three generations? It's pretty well over. Uh, they say that most countries and uh, that were whites in the Western world are at the stage where they cannot make it back up again. Uh, some of them in some countries are at the stage where if, if, they, if they could start to reproduce. Uh, now they might start to recover, but most are beyond the level of recovery. Uh, China, people think about China. Well, even China down in the, in the military's records there, um, because there, there's two to three men for every one female in China today, and plus China now, is, they're, using, they're, they're drinking the same uh, poisoned uh, soft drinks, eating the same contaminated food and GMO food as we are, getting the same inoculations. Their meals will start dropping off drastically by the year 2030. That's from their own records. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. And we've got Derek from Philly on the line. Are you there, Derek? Derek, can you hear me? Yes. Hey, this is Derek from Philadelphia. Hey. Um, first, I'd like to say to Amber, I believe it was, she was asking about books that are interesting. And uh, I actually wrote to you about this email form, Alan. It was a Hereditary Genius by Francis Galton, which I found was very uh, clear and concrete in its words. Yeah. It said, you know, what they say about stuff. But anyway, I called to really ask you about... Uh, symbol of the dollar and the euro. Uh, I know you're into symbology, surely, so uh, just whatever you want to say about that. I would love to listen. The dollar and the euro? Uh, well, just, just the symbols that they use, like the S with the two bars and the C with the two bars or whatever, or the E yeah. now they use or whatever. The C with the two bars is the pound, I believe, right? Yes, they, love, they do love bars, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Well, I know some of the first euros that came out had 12 stars on it. Mm. and well. they always have 12 wise men running it. Now there's a council, by the way, of 12 wise men for Europe that has just been announced. And even though they have more than 12 members, they said they'd never go beyond 12 stars on their flag or on their coins. So they do not love the number 12. The 12 also is, is 1 and 2, which is 3, the trinity. They always have a trinity. Uh, that's, their, that's their magic number is 3. Mm. So the, the, the symbol for the dollar was the, is the S, is, is of course the serpent, as you know. And uh, you, too, you also have the Jachin and Boaz, and the serpent connects the two, male and female, meaning the hermaphrodite. It's another, it's another way of doing the hermaphroditic uh, symbol. Mm. 
system in your face. But uh, I haven't seen any of the, the recent euro coinage to have a look at it, in fact. Well, no, I actually just meant uh, the, the text symbol. That, that's what I meant specifically. I should have been more clear about that. Yes. The, the text, you know. That, you know yes. So oh, you, that's, that's all writing as well. You have uh, the E, of course, is always the same. For your ear, the E is a, is a quaternity, and it's also um, it also means three connected to one, a trinity connected to one, the capital letter E. And the E on its side, when you turn it to, to its right side, is also the letter M for for masonry as well. Yeah. So, so they, they have each letter. Yeah, you can go through and you could give a description of it, what it actually stands for. It's interesting that even Rho, uh, when, they, when they, they were pirates, remember, two of the Knights Templars became the first pirates, and they had the first skull and bones flag. That was their flag. That was also the, the same sheet on, on which you were raised from the dead. They still use them in the lodges yet, some of the lodges. But they talk, they, say were the, they said they were the sons of. Salmon, which is a play on the salmon. The salmon is a fish with red. Red is a, is a color for revolution. So they said they were the sons of Salmon or Solomon, a play on Solomon, but they said Salmon. And that's why you have the men in the little boats that come off the main ship, like seed, they come off, and it's a row boat, you see. So the row is basically the spawn of Solomon. It's, it's, it's highly technical. It goes into lots of different areas. Yeah. You just keep into Sorry, it. too much to, to see on a show like this, you know, yeah. in any depth. Well, I appreciate it, Alan. Sorry, the delay on the phone. Anyway, so take care. Uh-huh. Have a you great too. week. And that's it for tonight in a very cold interior Canada where we can never really get through uh, enough. Uh, an hour isn't long at all when you have so much to cover. So from Hamish and myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night and may your God or your gods go with you.